Welcome to Purpose and Productivity, a podcast made possible by the SkyPass Group of Companies and SkyLife Success. Join Krish Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. Welcome to part three of Running From or Running To. Today, we will address the third component of a conviction in crisis. We have talked about a culture in confusion and a character in conflict. In culture in confusion, we talked about some of the attributes of compromise and compliance. In character in conflict, we talked about the loss, the lies, and the lessons. Today, we'll address the distinctive, the directive, and the divine. And the reason I'm talking about a conviction in crisis is we are at a very interesting crossroads right now as it comes to conviction and condition. Again, this is not a desire or any kind of attempt on my part to play verbal gymnastics. I just like the wordplay and the depth of those meanings. Throughout human history, whenever we have managed to alter a person's surroundings, uh, impact their demographics, clean up their environments, provide them adequate housing, give them shelter, all we have managed to do is change their condition, which means you can take people out of one realm and put them in another realm and do good for them and do good unto them, but all you're doing is changing condition. This is window dressing to the problem, which is the conviction at the core. By the same token, uh, the broken window syndrome has existed since the beginning of time. If you see a dilapidated neighborhood, you see something in rambles and ruins, and you see something that looks like it is on the verge of destruction. If you allow it to exist without any maintenance and the shrubbery around it begins to grow and the weeds begin to sprout and the cobwebs begin to show, very soon you'll see graffiti on the wall, you'll see more cracked windows, you'll see the occupation of those premises for just about everything that is illicit and immoral. And that broken window syndrome has existed and people have talked about neighborhoods and civilizations and societies that have addressed this issue by saying that if you see one cracked window, go fix it before it can spread and permeate. And psychologists have defended this and uh, sociologists have argued about it. But again, all of this deals with condition. And so far, society has done a yeoman's job in trying to alleviate the conditions of people, the poverty mandates, the war on drugs, the war on poverty, the war on trafficking, the war on war. And whatever we fight is about the human condition. It is about trying to level the playing field. It is trying to move from the immorality of the lack of fairness to the morality of the presence of equality, whichever way you dissect this. Ultimately, it has to do with condition. But conditions are nine times out of ten a reaction to that which is physical, that which is social, that which is around us. But what about what is mental, what is internal, what the barometer, the conscience that guides us? Those are convictions. And right now we have a conviction in crisis. Granted, we have tried to address the issue of condition. Governments spring up and say we have to provide insurance for everybody. That's a noble gesture. You provide insurance for everybody, which means those that cannot afford it will now have access to health care. But those that can afford it will end up paying more for it because it's not a zero-sum game. 
If they say we're not going to raise the policies, then they're going to raise the taxes. Again, it's not a zero-sum game. This is economics 101. I don't need to go on a rant here. Ultimately, we want to talk about purpose and productivity. And purpose and productivity is always stemmed from the conviction at your heart. Like I said in past recordings, I have managed to finish a book called Twilight, where I unpack one verse of Holy Scripture and how Mr. Ziegler looked through all of that and changed my hurts into halos and my scars into stars. Because I was raised in a society that always was impressing itself to change its condition. So if you move from lower middle class to upper middle class, it was because of the amount of things you were able to showcase. Maybe you went from a bicycle to a scooter, from a scooter to a motorcycle, from a motorcycle to a car. And maybe you actually eventually originally began by going from taking public transportation to a, to a bicycle or something like that. But again, it was all conditioned. So when I was growing up, the only attribute that was associated with prosperity and success had to do with stuff. So the bigger the house, uh, and we have talked about this in the past, about the window tax that some of the places in the British Isles had imposed in the earlier days because the number of windows you had signified the amount of wealth you had. So if they could not tax you because you were finding loopholes in the tax structure, the number of uh, windows you had would be what they taxed in the window tax system. And people wised up to that and they painted over some of their windows uh, when it came time to be counted and so on. But all this has to deal with condition, and I want you to talk. I want to talk to you today about conviction. When you look at yourself, your goals, your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations. When you look at the desires that you have and the destinations you want those desires to take you to, the discipline that you want to inculcate in your life, are you looking at the convictions that ground you, or are you just trying to improve your condition? And quickly you'll find out that most of our goals are about stuff and most of our goals are about acquisition. And that's not a bad thing. If you have one house and you want two houses, that means you'll have more place to be in while you're alive and you'll have more places to leave for those that will come after you. Acquisition is not a bad thing. Wealth and riches we have talked about ad nauseum here. But on this podcast today, I want to talk to you about the three attributes that define our conviction. The first is the distinctive, what is reality? Uh, When I travel and I watch all of the mandates that are now coming down the pike and some of my friends uh, and I have these discussions about the importance of these mandates, are they helping or are they hurting? I always rely on this one thing. I said all this external dressing that we are doing to defeat an invisible enemy, i.e. this virus, is, uh, is addressed well, I think, to some degree. The medical folks may disagree, the data may be disagreeable, whatever it is, but I think people have done a good job in trying to tell you that you stay six feet apart and you wear a mask and somehow you're going to do what you need to do. And that's, again, condition. But what about the psyche? What about the conviction? What is this immobility doing to civilization? What is this lack of contact doing to people? Uh, I'm talking to children who have not been able to see their parents for six months. I know I haven't seen my dad in that period of time. And a lot of this has to deal with the conditions that have been imposed all over. But what about the conviction? What is reality? Reality is humanity was never designed for isolation. We were designed for unity. We were brought together to have purpose. We were brought together for community. If we do not have the ability to interact and we have this feigned dialogue through these masked approaches at a certain distance, eventually there is a breakdown in the very foundation of those relationships. 
Even in our business meetings now, we come into the meeting with the idea that we are going to be distant. We cannot shake anybody's hand. We cannot look them in the eye. We do not even know what's going on behind the mask. And so nine times out of 10, we finish our discussions by way of email saying at least that prevents the, the need to interact with anybody. Because if the interaction is limited to six six feet and uh, the number of people in a room is limited and those are the conditions that are imposed as part of the mandate, then what about the conviction? What is reality? And this is the question we need to ask ourselves every single day when you look at productivity. And the only solution to this is changing your own reality by altering the convictions of your heart to impose in, in, uh, to implement into your life new disciplines. So my schedules have changed, my ability to interact have changed, and since I'm now a 24-7 operative, if I feel the need to write, I'll write. If I have to do a teleconference from somewhere at 2 in the morning, I'll get into my car and drive to my office because what I'm doing is I'm addressing my reality. If I succumb to the conditions and the imposition around me, then I'm walking to that meeting at my dining table, trying to use some kind of device, messing around with the surroundings around, moving a couple of pots and pans so that people don't overlook overlook my shoulder on a video message and see some kind of a drastic behind and I need to change that in some way or some degree. So the distinctive, what is reality? The second is the directive, what is hope? John Maxwell has often said that uh, if there's hope in the future, there is power in the present. Alfred Adler said, hope is the foundational quality of all change. And as a result of that, our directive has got to be what is going to give us hope during these times. If you begin to understand the reality of what is around you, and that is the distinctive, and that reality may not change. So I want you to project down a year or two years, three years down the road. Everybody is operating with this like, hey, you know what? This is the new normal, a word I never subscribed to, but everybody is saying this is the new normal, which means maybe from the rest of our lives, this is how we're going to work. And a lot of people are apprehensive about that, but those that are fluidly functioning in it are thinking, but this will get boring very quickly, just like everything else. And as a result of it, if our reality does not begin to adjust and you do not look at these distinctives as a reality, then you're going to be in for a rude awakening in the weeks and months ahead when suddenly the months uh, that we have already experienced begin to now change into years. What about the next pandemic? What about the next uh, disturbance that takes place where our conditions are again altered for a number of reasons and you have to adjust the distinctive of your reality again? This brings you to the directive. Where do you get your hope? And the hope givers in this world are now becoming the great pessimists of this world. Because the very people who you went to for hope, where you congregated on a Sunday or a place of worship, that's been banned. If music was your outlet, concerts have been banned. If the park was your outlet, the park has been banned. If the beach was your outlet, the beach has been banned. And so if, they're cha- if the directives are changing around us, and the, uh, uh, where are we going to get hope? And hope ultimately comes from within. Hope comes from the hope giver, a moral law and a moral law giver. Which brings me to the third point, and then I'll coalesce and try to uh, bring all three into some kind of cohesion. That is the divine. This is the truth. When you begin to realize that our reality has changed, and we begin to realize that the hope we get has also changed in its avenues of availability, then it comes to what is truth. The truth has been the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
Often people say, I walk away from faith and during this downtime, I've discovered that my faith has helped me. Well, what you realized was with great profundity is God never moved. The truth is the truth. The truth is always absolute. The truth is never abstract. And the truth by nature is very specific and the truth by nature is exclusive. So when you live in a world that has altered the reality, the myth that they give you about the distinctives in our lives, when they have altered truth saying there is no such thing as absolute truth, when we have jettisoned God, when we have jettisoned faith, when we have jettisoned all the attributes that give us that foundational reality and started messing with definitions saying whatever you believe can be your distinctive, whatever you believe can be your reality, eventually our hope then begins to manifest in whatever form we get it. The late great Rabbi Zacharias used to often purport that it is not the, play, the pain in this world that makes people disbelieve in God. It is the pleasure in this world that makes them want to cling back to God because man has now seemingly exhausted the ways in which he can begin to please himself. The length of imagination and the depth of our imaginary thought process has taken us to the very extinct and outer boundaries of debauchery. And as a result, there is no hope. When I talk to 20 and 21 year old people and they look at the doom and gloom around there and the apocalyptic references that people of my generation make for them saying, what kind of a world are we leaving these kids? And they're already upset by the reality around them. They don't have interaction with the societies because of the pandemic. They're looking at me and saying, this cannot be the end all. And as a result, the read guidance or the refocus has to be on that foundational question. What is truth? And truth is exclusive, as I've heard uh, Rabbi Zacharias say, and as I myself have repeated his saying. It is by nature a very foundational tenet that when you cling to it, you will be able to see the lies. Sometimes, you know, we have to get away from this belief that Sigmund Freud posited all those years ago when he said, if you study insanity, we can begin to understand normalcy. And that seems to be the way we have gone in the last couple of years. Right is wrong, wrong is right, yes is no, no is yes, up is down, down is up, and there is no foundation anymore. It is tragic to see that in looting that is taking place, there are people in authority saying that those that are looting should be given a pass because of the downturn in economy, their necessities may be more than they can bear, and as a result, you should give them a pass when they loot. And I'm thinking to myself, at some point, we have to realize that when you take someone else's stuff, it was someone else's hard-earned stuff. It is not there for taking because you're desperate. That is a sociological debacle if I've ever seen one. But we are there. And when I listen to the news and I hear some of these people, talking heads, come on with some of their solutions, what they are doing is they're trying to alter truth. And you cannot alter truth no matter how many lies you put out there. You can alter reality, as I pointed out, by changing the conditions and making people believe that somehow that they are manifestly different, but you've not changed the convictions of their heart. You can change their directive by saying, let me give you hope. Maybe another stimulus check will come on and maybe they'll extend unemployment benefits. But the reality is, if the economy is continually in shamble, you cannot shake a tree to get money. It's never a zero-sum game. But people don't want to. When you argue with the people on the street and they throw out words like fascism and socialism and communism, they do not understand the definition of it. They're throwing it out as, a, as an epithet of some kind. They're basically trying to use a derogatory remark because they know that will get a rise out of you. 
If you call me a socialist or you call me a communist, I'm not going to react to your opinion because I know the truth. I know what I believe in and I know what I stand for. Just because you made an accusation, it doesn't change my reality. But that's what we are seeing outside. Most people are afraid to have an opinion because they're afraid of being labeled. And by being labeled, they're thinking that takes away the truth of their existence. Yes, it'll only take away the truth of your existence if you are being labeled based on the conditions you exhibit. But if you're labeled based on the convictions of your heart, nobody can take that away from you. So when we talk about the three components of running from or running to, ask yourself, are you running from something or you're running to something? Because we do have a culture in confusion. Second, there is a character in conflict. The loss, no absolutes. The lies, too many abstracts. The lessons where we get new absolutes. But look closely at the conviction that's in crisis and ask yourself, what is the distinctive? What is your reality? Around which will you paint? What will be the monument of your legacy? The directive, where are you getting hope? What is giving you hope? How are you a hope giver? And lastly, the divine, what is truth? The exclusive truth, the God-given truth. I have believed and I have always said that my God, my Savior, the one who rescued me, is the one who stands in the gap. He is the God of my high. He is the God of my low. And when I wrote that book, uh, Twilight, articulating how the late Mr. Zig Ziglar used one verse in the Bible, Acts 17, 26, to tell me that out of one nation, out of one man came all the nations, and out of one blood came we all, and how God preordained our boundaries, and how he determined whether we would rise or fall. There is an anchoring of reality in that one verse that gives us a unity, that unity in that verse that begins to build that universe, that lets me change every time I'm despondent, change my hurts into halos and my scars into stars. Give me hope that there is a hope giver, a moral law and a moral law giver that sits triumphant, who was the same yesterday, today and forevermore, who's outside the dimension of time, looking into time, knowing where I came from, knowing where I'm going and guiding me along the way, giving me that conscience As the Bible itself says, the Holy Spirit is my advisor, it's my counselor, it's my guide that will sit for me and sit with me. So ask yourself, what are the distinctives, your reality, the directives, your hope, but more importantly, the divine, the truth. In the days and weeks ahead, I've been asked to speak more about the divine truth and this God-given identity we have, and hopefully I can answer some of the questions. Until next time, this has been Purpose and Productivity. God bless. That concludes another episode of Purpose and Productivity with Chris Dunham, brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at chrisdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com, where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.